All right. So we're in Philippians 3. I would love for you to... Uh... <coughs> Is that your wife or your daughter, Mark? I... <laughs> um, I would love for you to follow along. And uh, just a, a, a word here about... Um, I, I, we switch Bibles. Um, and some of you have asked, have noticed. So the, we, this is the English Standard Version that's in front of you. And uh, for those of you brand new to this kind of a thing, um, Bibles work on these three-letter acronyms that is their translation. So it started out in Greek and Hebrew, Hebrew Old Testament, Greek New Testament, and those are translated into English, and there are different versions of the translation. So we used to use the NIV, the New International Version, and I switched to the ESV, the English Standard Version, Solely because I just, I enjoy it, I appreciate it, I like it. Um, and also, it seems as though the trends are kind of heading that way uh, toward that becoming like the new normal version used. Um, it wasn't because there's anything wrong with the NIV or the NLT, um, the New Living Translation or anything like that. It was just a, a personal preference thing. So just so you know that I'm not like... We're not boycotting versions of the Bible or anything like that. Uh, so, um, Philippians 3, I was thinking a couple days ago, I can't believe, I think this is the first time in 19 years that I've been here that I've ever talked through Philippians 3. Um, the section that I want to read today, uh, this was the first passage of Scripture that I ever memorized. I was in high school, and, and for me, I felt like... Um, the information, the promises that Paul gives were so important that I wanted it like deep into my psyche as I grew in my walk with God. So I memorized it as the first one. It's just an incredible passage of scripture. I have no idea why I'm just now um, getting to talk it through. So let me, let me read it to you and then we'll break it down. So this is, I'm going to start with verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. So we're talking about perfection here. Not that I'm already perfect. Now remember, this is, and this is really important that you get this, get this brewing, okay? This is the Apostle Paul, St. Paul. Churches are named after him. He wrote much of the New Testament. He's in stained glass windows, so you know he's a big deal. The Apostle Paul says... Not that I have already arrived, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Again, that's Paul saying, I have not arrived. St. Paul, the Apostle Paul, I have not arrived. But one thing I do, here's best practice. Forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead. Forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We're going to talk about what that means in a minute. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. So historically, Paul is talking uh, about a tendency toward an early church. Um, people, there's a group of Christians who had felt pretty good about themselves. And Paul says, I haven't arrived. 
You haven't either. I haven't arrived. You haven't either. If you think you have, you haven't. So there's the promises in, uh, in Philippians 3. I'm just going to kind of take the next few minutes and, and lob some truth grenades at you, some promise grenades, and then I hope that you'll find some things that you feel like that's my thing for the day and maybe write it down, email yourself on your phone, uh, whatever, just you know, take it with you, wrestle with it, make it bigger, um, think of ways that it applies to just some different um, points from Philippians 3, and then you figure out what you need to do to take it to the next level. Okay, thing number one, Paul casts a vision for a life of continual progress. He says that we have potential for greatness. We've never arrived, but you can always have hope for growth. So that's the first thing. If we're really going to put this to practice in our life, we need to realize that there is always potential for growth, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been. Because you are human and because you have breath right now, there is potential for you to do great things for God. The potential is there. Don't ever lose sight, no matter how bad you feel, for the potential. You're striving towards something. You can get somewhere. You can make progress. So this is why this is important. Depending on your, uh, if you have a church background, your denomination that you grew up in, or your family of origin... We get pretty good. There are many segments of human beings who get pretty good at identifying um, our potential for wrong, our potential for bad, our potential for failure, right? I mean, if I say to you, well, I'm only human, am I referring to something great that I've just done? Probably not. Deep down, we would say, uh, what, to err is human. Like, like, I'm only human means I mess up. So we're hyper-focused on the potential for bad, and clearly there is potential for bad, but there's also tremendous potential for good that we see in Scripture as well. There's plenty of Scripture that talks about how wrecked we are as humans, but there's also Scripture that talks about our potential. So Viktor Frankl, I quoted him a couple weeks ago, wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. He ends the book, which describes his time in Auschwitz, as a part of a concentration camp, he said it, one of the things he noticed on display was the full spectrum of humanity. He said that uh, you could look at the gas chambers and you would see both people walking into the gas chambers, their own execution, um, reciting the Lord's Prayer or a Jewish prayer, depending on their faith background. And you see that great faithfulness, like, wow, look at them. They are faithful to God right up to the end. At the same time, in the same area, was the person who was going to operate the gas chamber. Or you think about the person who invented it. So you see on display both the potential for incredible faithfulness and goodness and the potential for unspeakable evil all wrapped up in the human condition. So let me look, read you just a couple. Uh, they're on the screen when it talks about realizing your potential, just because you're human. Job 31. But from my youth I reared orphans as a father would, and from my birth I guided the widow. Now, obviously there's some hyperbole there. I doubt as a baby he was helping widows. 
But he's saying there's an innateness there. There's an there's inherent potential for good just because you're human. Just because you have breath, there's potential for good. Matthew 21, Jesus says, From the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. Jesus also says, If you want to understand the kingdom of God, watch children. Something inherent in us as humans, part of our image of Godness, that can do really good things, tremendous potential. Psalm 26 and 139, here's a mashup. Vindicate me, Lord, for I have led a blameless life. I have trusted in the Lord and have not faltered. And I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So it's only human, or I'm only human. I'm only human should mean both I have potential to fail, but also I have tremendous potential to do good. And if we're going to get the most out of Philippians 3, we need to understand that, that kind of um, seesaw. Both ends of the spectrum, the human spectrum, tremendous potential for evil, but also tremendous potential for good just because you're human. So it is a lie to believe that in your current spiritual state, you are unable to do really good things. You can't let yourself get bogged down by your failures. And one of the ways is that we do that is by forgetting our tremendous potential for good just because we were made in the image of God. So I bring that first part up. Um, if you grew up, and there are some of you who grew up in a church or a household that hammered home the fact that you are sinful, you are broken, you are useless, you are... Some of you heard those things from your parents, like you are good for nothing. But that's not true, because biblically speaking, we have tremendous potential for good just because we have breath, because we are made in the image of God. So first of all, you know, just leave realizing that. All right. Thing number two. We have to get good from the concepts in Philippians 3, and if we're going to put this into practice in our life, um, we have to get good at, at keeping a balance between both the prophet and the evangelist. The prophet and the evangelist. Let me talk about that for a little bit. Um, Paul uh, tells us that we've never arrived, but in that frustration... There's something to be said for realizing that there should be a not yet. So let me, let me talk about that a, a little bit. Um, Romans 7. So take a look at a couple of scriptures here. Paul's going to tell, tell us this about himself. Um, he says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. And then 1 Timothy 1.15, which is just staggering. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost, can also be translated the worst or the chief, <clears throat> of whom I am at the front of the line. So Paul, St. Paul, Stained glass window saint. 
author of Scripture, teacher of the ways of God, writer of the Word of God, says, I am the worst of sinners. I hate what I do. So we see in Paul an enormous frustration in his failures. Now, there's, there's actually, I think, really good news in this. Um, first of all, you have to balance both of those things. Our potential for good and our realization of our failure. And I must say you need a prophet on one shoulder and an evangelist on another. So prophets are people who see right and wrong clear, black and white. There's dark and there's light. And, and generally their engine is to point out what is wrong. And that's a voice that God uses all through Scripture. Prophets see sin in themselves and others. They hate sin in themselves and others. It fires them up, and they're quick to like, uh, uh, uh. There was a lady, um, I remember an email I got uh, years ago. She said, Alex, I I really want to challenge you to preach more angry because I feel so much better leaving church feeling bad. Um, that's the prophet. That's the prophet saying we need to be angrier about sin in people's lives. Um, then there's the evangelist. The evangelist, which has its root in good news, is like, no, God loves you. You're okay. You're going to be okay. You're forgiven. There's grace. There's mercy. Every day's new. And, and that's a voice that God uses in Scripture. So my advice to you when it comes to this stuff is, Be aware of your tendency. Like my dominant tendency is evangelist. I am much more inclined to say, you know what, God's redeeming everything. God loves everybody. God's working on it. Uh, You you are loved. You're awesome. You're good. You're going to potential. Forgive yourself. So I need to be aware that at times i got to let that prophet speak up into my life and say, hey, that's wrong, that's, that's darkness, that's evil. So just th- there's that prophet evangelist, both are biblical voices, and, and you kind of need both working to, to make this equation work. Uh, and, and I say that because I, I don't want to relieve anybody of their moral responsibility to walk in, in light with this. But... There's something to be said for Paul saying, I haven't arrived yet. I am the worst sinner I know. It seems as though Paul's saying, I'm not a very good Christian. And and here's why. So let's, let's let's look at Philippians 3. Not that I have already obtained this, so I haven't arrived, Paul says, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. I haven't arrived yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal. Paul is saying, I have not arrived yet, and neither have you. I have not arrived yet, and neither have you. Now, this is a volatile uh, bit of information. This is a volatile part of our identity And and so I want to be cautious how far we apply it, but I want us to apply it. Here's the mantra. You're not supposed to have arrived yet. You're not supposed to have arrived yet. 
Now for me, there are times where I just need to exhale. Because you look in the mirror and you're frustrated because you got that uh, dark behavior that you're aware of. You have that repeated sin. You have that addiction. You messed up that. You called the cashier an idiot. You whatever. Line up the sins. And it can be overwhelming. And you look at the mirror and you can look in the mirror and you can say, Alex... You are not supposed to have arrived yet. You're frustrated, of course. You're not supposed to have arrived yet. And so there's a part of a walk with God that is us, because Paul does it, that is us looking into the mirror and saying, you're not supposed to have arrived yet. (sighs) Okay. Okay, There's, there's, there's still potential here. I'm not supposed to have arrived yet. Maybe I shouldn't be all that surprised that I don't see spiritual perfection in the mirror. You're not supposed to have arrived yet. And for some of you, maybe you just need to write that down and throughout the week look into the mirror and say, you're not supposed to have arrived yet. And just back off a little bit. Now, once you get to that place where you can accept the fact that you are not supposed to have arrived yet, You need to move to a place where you realize there is a destination. Paul calls it the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It means this. We say at Polaris, live like Jesus. Live like Jesus. There's an example. There's a goal. There's a place where we're headed. There was one who did arrive. His name was Jesus. And that's where we're headed. So, for Paul, there's your example, the life and teachings of Jesus. That's what it means to have arrived, and you need to move toward that. You haven't arrived yet, but you need to move toward that. The problem is, when we give ourselves a clean slate, but fail to put in our minds the clear path to where we are headed, You and I need to be moving toward Jesus-likeness in our life. And the only way I know to do that is to become a student of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Those are the Gospels. When we read the Gospels, five, ten minutes a day even. Five, ten minutes every couple of days. And we focus on his teachings, what he says to do, and on his example, what he actually does. And we think about, how am I at that? That's us saying, there is the vision for what we are becoming like. I'm going to move toward that. And we are free in Scripture to forgive ourselves, because God has forgiven us, to truly forget the past, because God has forgotten the past. But we got to have the goal, or else we're going to waste our life we got to have the goal of this is what Jesus looks like. This is where we're headed. And so maybe the takeaway is I need to read the Gospels five to ten minutes, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and focus on that's the picture of where I need to head. So you got to have a vision if you're going to have the self-forgiveness. They work together. 
the prophet, the evangelist, they work together. You've got to see the vision if you're going to accept the fact that you haven't arrived yet. If you're truly going to forgive yourself, you still have to head somewhere or you're going to spiritually waste your life. You're not going to move anywhere, and that's not what God wants either. God doesn't want you weighed down by guilt, but he also doesn't want you to waste your life and not end up where you could be because you fail to have a, a good picture of the Jesus life that we're all called to. God calls us upward toward Jesus. So Philippians 3 tells you, forget about your past. Romans 8 says, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 8 says, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. What that means is that Jesus paid the death penalty for your sins. And through faith in that, action, we're no longer trying to gain forgiveness. We have it. Jesus did all the work. So no condemnation means that our sins are not held against us. So you are forgiven of everything past, present, and future, even when you're in the middle of sin. If you're in a relationship with Jesus, you are blanket forgiven. You can truly forget about the past. God doesn't remember it anymore. I will remember their sins no more. You can forget about the past. One of the ways I do this is to remind myself of the stories. And I'll let you find your own in the Bible, but there are amazing stories of God's grace all through. I think about King Manasseh a lot. King Manasseh in the Old Testament, he was an evil king. He threw his children in the fire as a means of worship to, a, to an idol. And did all sorts of just unspeakable evils. Uh, and he was captured by... Um, by a neighboring country and um, on his way basically to serve his sentence and he cried out to God, God, you know all that stuff that I did? I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done it. Please forgive me. Please give me another chance. And God does. God restores him. Now I remember that story, not so that I can make it my goal to like throw my children in the fire and be forgiven. Though there are days... I remember that story because I, it, it helps me. You know what? I, I, I haven't done that. And if God can forgive that, God can forgive me. And it, it helps me remember God really is the God of the, the second chance. But I got to be moving somewhere. I got to be heading somewhere. I got to become more like Jesus. It works together. Let me do one last thing. I'm going to read these couple of scriptures. And you guys can come on up when you want to for the last song. Philippians 3 and scriptures like it point to the incredible mystery that is kind of this life that we live. Um, the God who loves us in the midst of our sin, the God who somehow has decided to show the world his grace in the midst of our sin, and the God who has decided that a part of his work is redemption of the worst of us. Like, like, of course we haven't arrived. We're not supposed to have arrived. Uh, but God is showing off his redemption as we become more and more like Jesus. So here's how Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 4. For what we proclaim is not ourselves. In other words, we don't have to be perfect. We're not saying we are. We're not saying look at us. We're not proclaiming ourselves to begin with. But Jesus Christ as Lord, 
with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. In other words, it's not about us, it's about Jesus. So we fail, yeah, it's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's about what he's doing through us. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In other words, the whole thing is about light shining out of darkness. The whole thing is about God using sinful people, light shining out of darkness. That's what he's doing. But we have this treasure, and I love this passage, we have this treasure in jars of clay. That's the mystery, that there's a treasure, and it's stored in earthen, broken, fragile vessels. The message, the knowledge of Jesus stored in spiritual failures like me. To show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. You haven't arrived yet. Of course, that's what the whole thing is about. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. The whole thing is about God sustaining us in the midst of our brokenness. God redeeming us in the midst of our brokenness. Don't get weighed down by your failures. You're not supposed to have arrived yet. Forget what you've done in the past. Move forward to a better picture of who God wants you to be. Then Isaiah 61, and I'll end with this. Isaiah 61, this is how Jesus started his ministry by reading this. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall rise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. In other words, Paul is saying, when you see the ashes, like the smoking hole in the ground that is your spiritual condition, remember what this thing is about. This thing is about God redeeming that thing. It's about God redeeming your mess. So instead of letting your spiritual disaster of a life wreck you <clears throat> let it remind you that this whole thing is about God exchanging that brokenness for something beautiful for something holy that's what God is doing let's pray <clears throat> God thank you for the promises in Philippians 3 um, if I didn't believe that was your word I would believe it was too good to be true A God who says, just forget what happened yesterday. A God who says, of course, you're not supposed to have arrived yet. Uh, please continue your redemptive work and inspire us to move forward to the beautiful picture of the life of Jesus. To know what true greatness is and to live that out. In Jesus' name, amen.